We had a teacher back in high school, and I'm kind of ashamed to say we made that man's life miserable. He, uh, he was one of those people that was kind of nervous by nature, and we all picked up on that really fast. And so in class, we would do things that were disruptive, we would cause problems, and then we found out where he lived. And then October came around, and his house was soaked. His, tea, his trees were teepeed. Uh, there were a few eggs thrown. We, we egged his house. Now, I had him for class my junior year in high school, and it was on Christmas break during my junior year that I became a Christian. I gave my life to Christ. I'm still very new at this, and I still wasn't very good at being a Christian yet. And I had a long way to go, a lot of maturing to do. And I remember it was the summer after my junior year. I was, I was standing out here on this road. And he drove by in his little car. He stopped and we talked for a little bit. And he said to me, he said, Brett, I just found out that you're a Christian. And I said, yeah. I said, I became a Christian about six months ago. About back in January, I became a Christian. And sitting in his car, looking at me, he said, Huh, I never would have guessed that you were a Christian. And then he drove off. I will admit, I'm a little slow. And it probably took me a day or two before I realized what he had said to me. <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh man, he called me out. He called me out. He was saying that there was nothing in my character, nothing in my actions, nothing in my attitude, nothing in my regard for him that would have given, me, given him any hint at all that I was a Christian. He did not see the life of Christ alive in me. And the worst part is, he was right. And when I finally realized what he had said to me and what he meant by that, that night I went over to his house and I egged it. Because you don't do that. I didn't actually. No, I did not egg his house. But on the inside, that's what I wanted to do. I never would have guessed that you were a Christian. Last week we started looking at Philippians chapter 2. And it's there in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. We have that beautiful Christ hymn. It is a poetic, uh, it, it is a song that, uh, that Paul gives us about, about Christ. But, but he introduces that song with these words in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves in the way that you treat one another, in the way you love one another. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on with the Christ hymn, which describes Jesus' humility and how he came and emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being found in the form of a man. He submits to death, even death on a cross, and God exalts him. We pick up this week right after the Christ hymn with verse 12. And you'll notice verse 12 begins with the word therefore. So you got to go back and see what it's there for, right? And the reason it's there is because we've never left this topic. This is still about Christ in you. This is still about what the life of Christ in you looks like. So that when someone looks at you, they don't say, huh, I never would have guessed you were a Christian. Instead, they say, I see it. 
That's what a Christian looks like. That's what a Christian does. That's what a Christian sounds like. We pick it up in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. It's page 981 in those blue Bibles. If you're following along with the Bible app, the notes are all there. But I want to begin with verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let's talk about what it can't mean. It can't mean that you are earning your own salvation because the very next verse says, for it is God that works in you. That phrase, fear and trembling, is a euphemism for with utter seriousness. If you do something with fear and trembling, you do it with utter seriousness. When you propose to your wife, guys, you did so with fear and trembling, right? You were utterly serious. Not Brandon probably, but other guys I'm thinking. With fear and trembling, you took this as a very serious moment. You knew you had to do this. Paul is saying you're responsible for the daily living out of your own salvation, what that salvation looks like in your life. And more to the point, he's saying, I can't do this for you. I'm not going to be around. And even if I was, this is your job. This is your responsibility. If you're going to live out the Christian life, you're responsible for your own character and how Christ is reflected in you. I never would have guessed that you were a Christian. That's probably okay when you're six months into this life. You know, I still have a lot of growth and growing to do, and you still got a lot of still got a lot of maturing to do. You're still hanging around with the wrong crowds. But if he were to come back now, 30 years later, and he were to spend time with me and he still walked away and said, I still don't see it. <laughs> I still never would have guessed that you were a Christian. Something would be wrong, right? Something would be wrong. We'd have a problem then. So what does it look like to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, with utter seriousness? That's what Paul goes into in verses 14-18. through 18. And he points to two different areas of our lives where Christ ought to be seen. And it's areas you're already familiar with. What we do is Christ seen in what we do. Is Christ seen or heard in what we say? Both of those are areas where people either see Jesus in us or they don't. So do they see Christ in us? Do they see Christ in what we do? Do our actions and our interactions with others, do they bring healing? Do we bring healing to the community? We're called to be people of peace. The church is called to be a place of peace. I've heard people say the church ought to be a hospital for sinners. It ought to be a hospital for people who need spiritual healing, and I couldn't agree more. It's a place where, where we offer relationships that are, that are marked by respect and forgiveness. That's exactly what Paul was saying back in verse 4. He said, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So what's that going to look like in practical everyday terms? Verse 14, <laughs> do, nothing, do all things, do all things without grumbling or questioning. <laughs> Okay, here's the bad news. I looked it up, and the word there for all things, it's, it, it means all things. You know, it doesn't mean some things. Paul doesn't say, I'm going to give you three freebies. You can grumble and complain about those three freebies, but everything else, you can't grumble and complain. No, he doesn't say that. 
He says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Why? Because the world is watching. They're watching to see if we are different without grumbling. Why? He goes on in verse 15, without grumbling, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, what you and I need to see there is something that might be a little hard for us to notice, but I think his audience would have picked up on it. He's actually playing off of two very old Scriptures from the Old Testament, from, the, from their Bible. He's playing off of two Scriptures that would have been very familiar to them. First one is in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, where God says to the people of Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations that My salvation, which you're working out with fear and trembling, that My salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That was the call to Israel to be a light to the nations. But they chose to shut themselves off. They chose to block themselves off to to live this life that was separate, completely separate. They did not shine that light. They did not show the the light of God's power and love. They failed. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 5. Paul is also playing off of that where God says, where Moses says of, of the children of Israel, they have dealt corruptly with Him. They have dealt corruptly with God And then he says, they are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Does that sound familiar? They are a crooked and twisted generation. Listen to verse 15 again. Do everything without grumbling and questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. He's saying to the church, he's saying to the Philipp- to the, to the Philippians, he's saying to you and me, you're the light now. So you go shine that light of God's love. You go shine the light of Christ. And the reality is people are watching. They're watching to see if there's anything different about us. To see if we shine the light. If we're living up to Jesus' standard. If we're living up to His standard of, of love and forgiveness. <laughs> And if it's seen, first of all, in the way that you and I just plain get along with each other. Yes, the average person. Ask the average person that doesn't know anything about Jesus. Well, much about Jesus. Ask them what they do know about Jesus. And they'll tell you three things. Jesus loves me. This I know. You know, because they've heard that. Jesus forgives. They know that. And they know one thing that Jesus says. Above all else, people know one thing. Jesus said, do not judge. Do not judge or you'll be judged. They know that. And then you ask them what they think of the church. You don't get the same answers back. They don't see our standard as being the same as Jesus' standard. Do everything without grumbling, without questioning. Some of your Bibles say complaining. It's not just about us getting getting along with each other as a church. It's because the world is watching. And if we're going to bring healing to this world, it's first going to need to be seen in how we treat each other. Many, many years ago, I was in Phoenix, Arizona. My friend Dick and I went to, this, uh, went to this pastor's convention in Phoenix, Arizona. Now, my friend Dick is great to travel with because he is one of the most organized travelers you'd ever want to spend time with. And Dick, and Dick knew that this conference was coming up a year in advance. A year in advance, he got us hotel reservations. He got us plane tickets. He had everything ready, had us registered a year in advance. We were ready to go. And since he was so organized, he got us hotel reservations at a place just down the road 
from the convention center. We're going to be there in Phoenix, Arizona in February. We're going to walk every day to the convention center. We were not going to have to spend any money on a rental car. It was going to be perfect. And then we got to Phoenix. By the time we got to Phoenix, uh, <laughs> some of you remember, you're old now. By the time we got to Phoenix, our hotel had sold. The computer system that took our reservation had crashed and lost all of our reservations, and they had already given our rooms away. And we stood there in the, in the lobby, <clears throat> grumbling and questioning, <laughs> and the manager, in a rush, he got us all rooms at another hotel. Way on the edge of town, way out by Camelback Mountain, we all got rooms at this lousy red roof inn that smelled so bad. And because it was so far away, we had to rent a car <clears throat> to get back and forth to the convention every day. The last day of the convention, <clears throat> we went back to the hotel where the manager extended his apology. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he gave us each a voucher for one night stay at their hotel, provided we used it within the next calendar year. I was not going back to Phoenix. I pulled the manager aside and I said, this is wrong and you know it's wrong. I said, we did everything right. We had reservations ahead of time. We were ready to stay here. You, gave, you made us go to huge expenses, put us way out we're not happy about this. Why didn't you give us our rooms? And this manager looked me right in the eye and he said, you're Christians. You're supposed to love and forgive. And so I trusted that you were going to do those things. Yeah. So I went back that night and I egged his hotel. Uh, not really, but on the inside. I was throwing eggs at his hotel. He, he called us out. <clears throat> he knew what kind of people we were supposed to be. He knew that we would serve. And I confess, I grumbled. I grumbled and complained. And it still burns me when I think about that. And maybe it's okay if the only person I ever grumbled and complained to was a, was a guy in Phoenix, Arizona, who I'm never going to see again. But I know that I grumble and complain plenty around others. And I think there are locals. I know there are locals who have heard me grumble, and there's locals who have heard you complain. People are watching. Let's make sure we're bringing healing. Let's make sure we're not bringing more hurt. It's not just that we have a place for people to belong, a place where they're valued, a, a place where there's healing. We also have a message. We have a message that brings hope. And so we have to ask, do we bring hope to the lost around us? Do we bring hope to the lost if people are looking for a place of healing, there's lots of places they can go for healing. I recommend hospitals. I think that's a great place to go if you need healing. But other than that, in addition to hospitals, there are, there are organizations you can belong to that bring a lot of healing to the community. There, there are organizations, there are clubs you can belong to that do amazing things for the community, do great community actions, social responsibility. There are 12-step groups and support groups you can belong to that will help you through addictions, help you through past trauma and hurts that you're dealing with. There are lodges you can belong to 
that do a lot of wonderful things for the community as well. You can go visit and you can belong to a lodge. And every now and then, I will hear someone say, this particular group, this particular lodge, this particular club, they'll say, that's my church. And I think that's really nice. That, that's my church is what they say. And I get that. And there may even be less... There may even be less grumbling and complaining in a group like that, in a lodge like that, than you find in a church. But I have to ask, is there anything eternal? Is there anything of eternal value? What hope do they offer, not just for this life, but for the next life? Paul ties everything, he ties doing everything without grumbling and disputing to us shining like lights in our world. Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Holding fast to the word of life. The word of life is not just the Bible. The word of life is the gospel message itself. The message of the gospel. That message that God created this world perfect and beautiful. Created it for you and me. But we lost our way. And sin separated us from God. Sin spoiled His creation, but that through sending of His Son, through, through the sending of Jesus, through His life that He lived for us, His teaching, and especially His death, burial, and resurrection, His sacrificial death, He redeemed us and He bought us back so that we have a hope that's found in Him, not just for here, but for eternity. That's, that is the word of life that we are to hold fast to. <clears throat> Imagine you're on a ship and the ship is sinking. And they hand you one of these. And they tell you, this is going to save you. Hold fast to it. What are you going to do? Are you going to hold fast to it? Are you going to throw it over your shoulder? And walk around and say, I know we're sinking, but are they still having the shuffleboard tournament? Because I'm really good. And I was, is the buffet still open? You know, are you going to hold fast to it or are you just going to leave it somewhere, put it on a table and say, oh, do you know where I left my life thing, preserver thing? I think it was green. Did you see it? I think it was green. No, no, you're going to hold fast to it. You're going to hold on to it. You're not going to let go of it because this is what saves you. Nothing else is going to save you. Nothing else has that promise. Don't let me forget where I left that. If we follow Jesus... If we hold fast to His promise, nothing else should define us. <laughs> what would happen if you were defined by that to which you hold fast? What would, what would happen if you were defined by whatever it is that you hold fast to? What would people say? There are people that hold fast to their good works. They do good things. And people say, yeah, that, that person does good. Other people, others of us have good intentions, right? Those don't save us, but boy, they sure make us feel good that we have good intentions. Some of us are identified by our good intentions. Some people hold fast to their money, their wealth, their possessions. Some people hold fast to their opinions. I got it. I got opinions. I got thoughts. I got, pol I got political views. No, you ought to have opinions. You ought to have opinions about things. But none of these things can save you. None of these things should define you like the Word of life, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Bring healing to the community. Bring hope to the lost. Both, both of those find their power in that call to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Your salvation is not just you going to heaven. It's what does the life of Jesus look like 
in your, in your life as it's expressed in your life on a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday? What's it look like for you when it's expressed with utter seriousness? Look, it looks like relationships where instead of grumbling and disputing, you're bringing healing. And instead of clinging to opinions or possessions or the things that divide us, you hold fast to the message that brings us life. And instead of someone saying, huh, I never would have guessed that you're a Christian. Instead of that, they say, you're, you're my brother, you're my sister, and, and we can rejoice together. That's what working out your salvation with fear and trembling should lead to. We go from that utter seriousness of working out our salvation, from utter seriousness to you being the reason someone starts praising God. What changes would happen in our conversations if they stopped being marked by grumbling and complaining? What if instead of our opinions and even our prejudices and our likes and our dislikes, what if we held fast to the message of Jesus. Paul tells us what it would do for him. He tells us what it would do for the Philippians and we can extract from that what it would do for us. Verses 17 and 18. Even if I am to be poured out like a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Let me remind you again, Paul's in prison. He is shackled. At any moment... A guard could come in, grab him, lead him out to the yard, put his neck on a stump, and take his head off. And yet he says, I'll be glad and I will rejoice with you. I will set my pain aside because if this is who you are, I will rejoice with you. The fact is, the way you live out your salvation, the utter seriousness that you put into it, it's not just about what it does for you. It's not just about, hey, look at me. I don't grumble anymore. It's how you shine in the world. How Christ is seen in you. How you shine as a light in this world. This world that is so, this world that is so crooked and twisted, it cannot look up and see the light of God's love. But they can see you. And when they see you, they see Him reflected in you. And they rejoice with you. Jesus tells that story of the prodigal son. You remember the, the prodigal son? Son goes off and he spends all of his money, wastes his life. He comes back home broke and broken, destitute, stinking of pigs. The father throws his arms around him, brings him a new pair of sandals, puts a new robe on him, and kills the fatted calf. And they have a celebration. And then the older brother comes back in. He comes back in from the field and he hears the music, he hears the celebration, he sees the lights, and he asks one of the servants, what's happening? And he says, your brother's come back home, and your father's having a celebration. He's killed the fatted calf for him. The older brother refuses to go in to the celebration, so the father has to come out to him. And when the father comes out, the older brother says to the father, huh, I never would have guessed that you were his father. <laughs> now the older brother says, and the father says back to, to, the, to the older brother, we had to celebrate. I know he stinks. I know he still smells of pigs. And I know he's not perfect. But we had 
to celebrate. Verse 32, the Father says, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And you hear what the Apostle Paul says, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Be glad and rejoice with me. But realize this. Realize this. Not grumbling is not the same as being willing to rejoice. <laughs> just, just deciding you're not going to grumble, you're not going to complain, that's not the same as deciding you're willing to rejoice and especially willing to rejoice with people who used to make you grumble and complain because they're probably going to be around. But because you know that the Word of life you're holding to changes hearts and changes lives, rather than grumble and complain, you strive to see what God is doing in that person and you rejoice in them. You rejoice with them. Be the reason someone starts praising God. It's a dark world. This is a dark world. Paul says it is a crooked and twisted generation and I don't know how we fix that. But for starters, listen to your own conversations every now and then. Just listen to your own conversations. If you're hearing a lot of grumbling and complaining, then those conversations are not bringing healing. And if you find yourself holding fast to anything other than that which will save you, holding fast to anything other than the Gospel, then we're not bringing salvation into this world. The world desperately needs the light of Christ. And they're not going to see it unless it's shining through us. Let Jesus shine. Let Jesus shine in you. We're going to sing here in just a moment. We're going to take communion together. We are going to invite Jesus into our lives in a new way this week. That's what communion does. We take open communion here, which means everyone is welcome. It is the Lord's table. He invites. He welcomes. We simply prepare the table. But it's also a responsibility for you and me to see Christ in one another without grumbling, without questioning, without disputing. It is a commitment that we are going to see Christ in each other. We're going to find something, something of God even in the scoundrels that we might encounter, right? So let's pray. We'll sing. We'll take together. Father, we love You. <laughs> Lord, when we were the prodigal, when we still stunk, when we still egged people's houses even. <laughs> Lord, you, uh, you made Your salvation known to us. You made Your grace known to us in wonderful ways. Lord, there are times we know we still grumble. There are times we know we still complain and dispute. I pray that because of Your grace, because of the way Your grace has impacted us, we would lay those things aside so that others might see the light of Christ shine in us. And so that we might invite them to share that light with us and to share the hope of the Gospel. Thank You for this bread that reminds us of a, that a body was broken so that we could know this freedom. We thank You for the blood that was shed, this cup that represents it, and this cup that represents the blood of a covenant that calls each of us to see Christ in each other. I pray that as we shine, we shine together and we lift up the light of Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen.